that yeah i mean that what that is is it really is passion and like if you were like me at the time and you've n- never really identified as being passionate about something it's like a weird it's i mean it's literally it's literally falling in love you know mm. because it's like i want to spend every second of my time with this activity I want to spend like every ounce of energy. I want to spend every cent that I make. I want to do everything all in service of this interest. This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome to episode 16 of Epic Ordinary Lives. This week, I'm talking to another one of my great old friends, Logan Cook. Now, Logan Cook is a great many number of things, and we'll get to that in just a second. But I think what makes this episode special is that it illustrates what can happen when what we thought our lives would look like doesn't happen. Now, often that's a bad thing, at least at first. You know, we all we all can potentially have ways we thought our lives would look. We have tracks that we're on. We have paths that we planned on. And yet, speaking for myself, there have been plenty of times where those paths did not work out. And that really, therein lies the origin story of my friend Logan Cook's ultimate leap into a whole new path and into a path that arguably has made him much happier. So I don't want to give too many spoilers, but I would say this is the story of someone who didn't end up where they thought they would and found themselves all the better for it. Logan Cook is a professional ironman, a.k.a. fabricator at Farron Ironworks, a semi-pro knife maker, bladesmith, and according to him, a budding necromancer. We really dive into how he went from working in the food industry to becoming all of these things. Because when I think about Logan, I think about somebody that knows a lot about a few things and knows a little about a lot of things. He really is a a jack of all trades. And this is one of my great old friends, so I would classify this in the Friends episodes so in that way, we go way back, so the, the context of the interview is a little bit different. In any case, I think this episode is a great example of taking a challenging set of circumstances and forging it into something amazing. If you would like to check out the work that the guys do at Farron Ironworks, you can head to farronironworks.com. 
That is F-E-R-R-I-N, ironworks.com. And if you want to check out Logan's work, you can find him on Instagram at blindmanbladesmith. Again, no spaces, blindmanbladesmith. This will actually come up in this episode, kind of the origin behind that title. If you want to support this work, you can always write a review on iTunes or Google Play. And if you would like to support financially this work, you can always go to epicordinarylives.com and there is an Amazon banner at the top of each episode's main page. And, and this is a way, if you do any shopping on Amazon, you can click on that banner and it will take you to Amazon as normal, but I will get a small percentage back from whatever you buy. So again, there's no additional cost to you. It's just a way to support this work. And somebody did. Thank you so much, whoever you are. That was a that was a great surprise. The main thing is thank you so much for listening to this. It is a labor of love, and it is a lot of work to generate an episode every week, but I love doing this. So without further ado, please enjoy part one with my great friend, Logan Cook. I am sitting with the great Logan Cook, a friend of, I want to say we met back in 2007, but I don't know if that's right. I can't remember exactly where we first met, but when we first became close is when you moved into that closet-sized room it, in, correct. The, in the house that we lived in. Correct, and uh, a real quick shout-out to Kevin. He will. He is actually scheduled to be on here like within days, so this is in chronological order here, but... Um, and we'll, we'll touch on that, living in that house, because that is an interesting chapter. But For all of us. For, for every single one <laughs> of us. But you and I met when we were both dishwashers mm-hmm. at Marina's on the Square. That's right. Right? Like, I do have that right. You, you, I was there your we, first night. We worked together for one day. Yeah. I think and my last day. It was your last day and my first day. And you were kind of taking that place. Yeah, I guess so. I think that, and, and a there weird... There was an Aaron-sized hole that needed filling. Hey, you know, right? And only a Logan could be the one. I had a lot of space around me in that hole. But you moved at such a frenetic pace that... <clears throat> Time and space... Bent. <laughs> but we met, and what I remember is going like, man, I could be friends with that guy. And we had a mutual couple of connections but we it didn't really continue after that until I want to say I went over to Kevin's house before living there years later and you gave me a grizzly bear burnt CDR which of course is the beginning of any great friendship we actually had like a weird uh, sort of weird serendipity of like cuz we had mutual friends that we were both like equally close to Mm -hmm. and so we kind of like we're on sort of opposite ends of that circle i know a circle that has no ends but we'll say opposite radii i i I like the metaphor that's being created here (laughs) even yeah um so i feel like we kind of skirted around each other for a long time Mm. and then we and then we finally kind of like when you 
uh, changed careers and moved into the house with us, we got close. And pretty quickly, too. That was after I quit teaching kindergarten. I searched for everything from Kroger to working at GNC selling protein powder and settled on, thankfully, Embassy Suites uh, is a bellman van driver, which is actually continues sort of our original connection. But I moved into my friend Kevin's house, who at the time had, I guess, a total of, I mean, with him included, three roommates. And uh, <laughs> I said, hey, man, do you know anybody that has a place? And he's like, well, I've got a computer room slash linen closet and uh, which would have been like small for a kid's room <laughs> right it's like a harry potter yeah. type situation because i mean it was literally like once you got um like this the the footprint of just a mattress took off <laughs> almost the entire room yeah i still remember the first night i, I slept on a mat on mm-hmm. the floor and i remember it was cold because it was winter and it, it was colder than it typically was in tennessee i think or actually it's winter so i guess it should have been cold but I just remember I, I laid on the heating vent, so I wasn't getting that much heat. I was blocking it, and I was just thinking. And you guys were playing Call of Duty or something, I think, through the wall. And uh, that's when I first downloaded an app that was a white noise uh, machine, which I still, to this day, thank you, white noise. But I, I remember it being very quickly that you and I became extremely close friends. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that a little bit just a moment ago, but it's kind of just like going with your instinct on on people in general. We just, I mean, we were just going to be friends no matter what, you know? Certain people you develop over time, maybe you coincide when your interests are aligned and then you don't when they're not, but certain friendships, it's almost like you're like, oh. We, can't, we like skipped, we like skipped the 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 uh, the honeymoon phase, as they would call it, I think. And we basically just went from, like, strangers to best friends. <laughs> yeah, like the married couple, like the old married couple uh, equivalent of friendship. Like, yeah. talking, and that's the thing, you know, my personality type is, like, very, like, sweet and, uh, ner- and you brought out a side. Mine, side-. too. I, I, exactly, you're the sweetest. <laughs> you're, the, you're the, absolutely the most gentle soul that has, has ever lived, but... Uh, we had this very like fun. We um, bond over charity and empathy, mm-hmm, volunteering, yeah, and, and uh, a general love for the positives. <laughs> we do both love cats, though. Well, yeah, who doesn't? I mean, agreed. I, I mean, you know, I'm not exclusive to them either. I just like anything that'll let me like touch it on the face. Like, put that I'll, on a t-shirt I'll, put, I'll pet a bird you know I'll pet a I'll pet a rhino if it won't get me for it it might accidentally get you for it, it it's probably yeah it's got a a sword on its face and a big old rump too yeah. that it might plop down on you but one of the things that you and I early on <clears throat> kind of exploded into was hiking yes we got a book from my parents called something like 50 Hikes Within 50 Miles of, of Nashville or something like that. And, and we, we took it and, and threw it away because we don't go by the books. <laughs> we don't need rules or guides. We took the guide. 
and we threw it in the trash, and then we made our own guides. Yeah, often we would get a name of a hike, and that's what we got out of the book. Notoriously poor directions. Oh, yeah. No, I'm still to this day horrific with directions, and we would often... I just remember we were in Quebec, Tennessee. There is a Quebec, Tennessee, because we went there once. But what when you think of our days, because we went through a period where your friend Ben McComb actually told us about REI. We had a brief love affair with REI and got suited up, and then every weekend... Mm. For a period, I feel like it was like an eighth month, or not eighth month, but like an eight week or three month or six month period. It was like every weekend. Mm -hmm. And weekends were sporadic. They weren't necessarily on weekends. But do any hikes stand out to mind that uh, were some of the most epic to you? Uh, specifically, I... Uh... I will. I will get to. I'll. I will say that probably the uh, the day loop fiery gizzard one was a uh, was a pretty intense one. Mm. But but what stands out the most to me is uh, is the time period because we were both had fairly dramatic changes going on in our life. You know, I was like losing my vision almost totally, and uh, and there was a lot of stuff going on. So I just remember the there was a therapeutic aspect to it that was like that transcended physicality on like a whole nother like level because i remember what stands out to me the most i think is that when we went out on on trips we we exercised our our minds just as much as our bodies and i know that sounds kind of pretentious but but it really was like we just talked the entire time about mm -hmm. about anything, about everything, you know, about what was going on in our lives and everything. And it was, it was a really good like rap sesh mm. about just getting stuff off your chest and off your back. And I just remember that being like just as just as valuable as. So it almost takes on this weird, you know, it takes on this weird dimension to where like the word hiking almost sells it short in a lot of ways you know what I mean which I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people are that way with their stuff whether it's with someone or by themselves but yeah I think I think more than anything it was uh I, f I felt like we both needed to be doing it in a yeah. weird way it, it's almost mm -hmm. as though the physical component helps unlock the meant it helps take away some of the walls you might have or some of the <clears throat> filter you might have and and the aimless uh, hiking isn't always aimless although sometimes we would get off the path we would create paths that were not intended again we can, by that guidebook that we had thrown in the trash we have a gift for making almost anything aimless yeah we, we would create challenges <laughs> i can predict that at times this episode will become Oh, aimless <laughs> for sure. Maybe we, you and I will do our own project, the aimless part, or something like that. But yeah. that just—I feel like that. Is, I feel like so much stress in life uh, is a component of mental, but there's also the physical, which helps. And and also, when you're on a hike, you're going to be out there for four hours, so you can go 
to any number of places in conversation over that four hours. Yeah, I remember being in Altamont and just having this like long, stupid conversation about just like words that we like to say. Oh yeah, do you remember? I remember. I actually was saying this. I'm making sure we're recording. I actually remember one of the words. I remember sand. Sand. Yeah. Yeah. And ocean. Oh, that's the, that was my yeah. Ocean. Ocean. Like so, <laughs> words that feel. So you Good. can imagine, like, anyone that we passed or got close to on that trail probably hid from us. <laughs> or they already in, were. In the brambles. The brambles. That is the, yet the first time I've heard brambles spoken aloud. Not in a Tolkien novel. Yeah. Words sound sometimes how they feel. That that was, I remember that. But that, you mentioned the Fiery Gizzard uh, day that we did, which was almost like in typical fashion. We arrived kind of late. That that was me. It's, I'll take credit that's for all, right. all of those. That's all right. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, you can always add the fact that I relied on GPS, and that often meant that we went into other states than we had intended to go to. That actually did happen was That was Luna Lake. We, we went into Georgia. <laughs> I mean, like, not even being, like, a cool place at all. No, it was, like, highly... I mean, you know, if you're listening from Luna Lake, you know, look. Fix I want to swim in it. I want to swim in those beautiful blue waters. Fix it. <laughs> Deal with it. But... Fix the fix the attraction. <laughs> the, the fiery gizzard, we got there, and it was kind of, as we went into it, it was almost like, if we don't get this done in time... We're going to be hiking in the dark, which, by the way, Ben Dawson and I did. In the dark? We did the same hike, and that's this uh, the previous podcast to this one. He and I did it. The next day, we podcasted, and that we literally were in an hour in pitch black with uh, the lamps on. So so you're saying Ben Dawson wasn't as, as... He was holding you back? Yeah, I think that's the clear takeaway here. That's what I'm getting. Um, we were far more uh, fleet, fleet of foot when we did it. And just for the record, uh, Ben Dawson, I love you too. True dad. Uh, stay in New York. If you know what's good for <laughs> he, you. He's actually in Tennessee right now. But uh, we, I remember we, we survived this hike. And I remember the sun was going down. And it was raining kind of. And it was super cold. It was like December. And I remember we dropped to our knees at the end of the hike. And it was sort of this like Shawshank Redemption as <laughs> raise your arms up uh, as you've crawled through the tunnels. Yeah. Of, <laughs> of fickles. Of, of God knows what. Yeah. And we went to a local uh, Mexican restaurant there, uh, which sold Dos Equis for $1 P.S. But it was so, it felt so good to be covered in sweat with like a white t-shirt on and blood and mud and sit down and you you know walk through the door and people look up and it was just this great, I, I don't know, that's a feeling in particular I loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was, and, and we made it a ritual after that, actually. We went to that same place almost mm-hmm. every time that we did a hike in that area. Yeah, they have great uh, garlic-laced shrimp. Oh, yeah. Camarones. Yeah. Apologies to the good yeah. people of Spain. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put it in the show notes. Well, in the course of, of that, years later, what I have watched you kind of do is become kind of a true jack-of-all-trades, I would say. And, and even working on mastery 
towards some, you could argue. Although we were talking just minutes ago about how if you if you're actually doing work like this, you know who the real masters are and who where you actually stand. But you know, you've become a knife maker, a sword maker. List your hyphens as <clears throat> as you would like. Like, what do you do now? Uh, well, I guess that kind of gets into like a weird identity thing. I guess, uh, first, I guess first I would say, as far as, as far as like passions are concerned, I would probably call myself a knife maker first, even though it's not my, my real full-time job. But I, I'd say like ultimately my real passion is just making things. Mm. But, um, to answer your question, um, yeah, I, uh, I make knives sort of like. I, I hate the word designer, but we'll say designer type expensive stuff. I think artisanal. <laughs> sure. Like it. It's it's overpriced. AKA. <laughs> we'll say. Uh, overpriced knives and um, and very reasonably priced metalwork, depending on your definition of reasonable. But yeah, it's just, it, it like, it started out as knife making and then it kind of led into just like, you feel empowered when, when every success you have, you feel empowered and you're like, Oh wow. I didn't even, first of all, a month ago, I didn't know this existed at all. And second of all, I never thought I could do it, but yeah, so I, I'm a knife maker, metal fabricator. And then I do some like woodwork and just, you know, general making and drawing and designing of stuff in my in my free time mm -hmm. <clears throat> and you talked about their kind of your development from going from not even having the notion of blank to then can you take us through the origin story of how you got into metal let's just say because I, I would apply knife you know I've been with you and we've made a sword or we've done a step in sword making so what is the genesis of just that whole track if you can remember. Well, I think, uh, honestly, if, like, if you really want, like, the important part of that answer, I think it, it ultimately goes back to my, my moment of being crushed by life, um, and having to retire from food service, which I had done for about 10 years, and that was, like, totally my career, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... I have a very good friend, and, and you do, also named Drew Binkley, of Grand Palace Silkscreen. Shout out to them. Shout out to Drew. Uh, Instagram.com. Taught me how to make uh, bread. Yeah, at Marina's, at the yeah. place where we met. Yeah, we all worked at the same, quote, Italian, unquote, restaurant. <laughs> yeah, slash, yeah, <laughs> uh, canned products. Frozen foodery. Yeah. Um, a food truck with no wheels, basically. <laughs> So while I was on medical leave from Embassy Suites, where we also worked together, I ran into Drew, who had sort of become a self-made man in screen printing, in the world of like graphic design and screen printing. I'd always been interested in doing that, because obviously like someone like me looks at someone like that, who is doing that kind of thing, and is just like, that's, that's the coolest guy that I know. You know what I mean? It's like, you just... Uh, because you, if your if your world 
is as small as mine was at that time, anything that's outside of that just blows your mind. You know, that's why, like, in, in a lot of places outside of Nashville, obviously, if you find out someone's a musician, you're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I mean, right. now, you know, at, in Nashville, we just, like, roll Throw our eyes rock at you. and you like, hit three. Audibly, you can hear people's eyes rolling at you if you say that you're a singer-songwriter. Right. <laughs> you're just like, well, can I have your autograph? But, so that was the first thing. And then, so when I was on medical leave from that job, I ran into Drew outside of the Belcourt Theater. And I was just, as you know, we lived together at the time. I was just, like, going out of my mind with boredom. Yeah. Grew my first beard. Um, yeah, I was proud of it. Thank you. Because <laughs> I was literally on medical leave from my job, so I was just sitting at home all day every day. I had nothing to do. You know, I didn't have any hobbies or anything like that, other than just playing video games or whatever. Guitar. <clears throat> yeah. Guitar. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I dabbled in, in that kind of stuff, but it was kind of a fleeting thing. So I ran into Drew and I literally was just like, I will do anything you need. Like, if you just tell me where to be and when to be there and give me something to do when I get there, like, I will drive 40 minutes from Murfreesboro to Nashville to work in your shop for free just to have something to do and just because I want to see what this process is. So that was a big step, too, because... I was so far away from, from anything that could even be considered art or mm-hmm. anything like that. Well, I want to, because I was there. I was there. We were going to go see uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And it was actually the second time that I, Belcourt, super cool place, but we were in line. And shout out to Belcourt. Shout out, many shout outs to Instagram. Belcourt. Instagram.com. Yeah, I know. Come, any of these things, if you want to sponsor us, uh, we will gladly, uh, yes, yes, we accept. But including Instagram, including Instagram, bring it on. But you, you had already known about Grand Palace, mm-hmm. and you had worked with him, so you kind of probably knew his genesis prior. But what was going? Did you when you because we were standing in line, they left. He and his at the time future wife. Mm-hmm. We ran into them. Was there any inkling at that moment that you might ask him, or did that go through your head like during the course of that conversation? Well, I had, I had, I had literally set foot in his shop like maybe two times before that, and and I'd seen enough of their work just to know that like if I can have any part in this, it will make me feel like the coolest guy in the room, you know. Is it the independence of creating your own thing? Is it just the creation in general? It's, what? Do, it's doing anything. Just doing anything like that. Like, I, I didn't I didn't understand art until, like, five years ago, maybe, maybe you know? It's cause, because just, like, it was so far away from, from what I did. I mean, you know, obviously, like, certain things that I had done up until that point were art-like, we could say like the culinary arts sure. per se or whatever. It was just so cool. Like I just looked at him with such a weird reverence and like every time he would bring some of the prints that he did into the restaurant that we all worked at, the one place we won't name, uh, ironically. <laughs> did we not name it? No. Okay. I think we should continue to not. Yeah, no, I mean. Because <laughs> you know they're not going to sponsor us anyway. Definitely no sponsors there. And look, it connected a great many number of people that care about each other. So it's like a. It has a legacy, a yeah. lasting legacy. 
but so I, I knew enough about it to just know like man if i can do any any part of this like it's so cool i just want to do anything so so i i started just kind of like volunteering i guess you could say more than anything i just like needed you know i needed somewhere to be because i was going out of my mind just sitting at home all the time um so i would drive and I would just clean screens, you know, do whatever, just like random. Basic. Yeah, like stooge work, you know. And and I was happy to do it, obviously. Like, just because just being in the room or, or like even just sweeping the floor made me feel like I was contributing in some way to these things. And like, you know, it's kind of annoying when people do that, really, honestly. And, and I'm sure it was annoying when I did it, too, because it's just like it's kind of you just latch onto it and you're just like yes i'm helping i'm helping you know like the little kid at, yeah, at the exactly. shop who's yeah so you know i i started doing just like random stuff like that around there and um eventually when it became clear that it was not in my best interest to to return to food service just strictly on a on a level of um you know stress and just and just how i chose to inject myself into these like stressful situations take on more way more than i can handle sure uh, and just you know think that you you just think you can take all comers and and you get cocky and and stuff like that and i did very briefly mm. uh, short order cook stuff and and you were a master of that i would say but i know and i tasted enough of that medicine to know that it burns yeah you i mean you just have to have like a very specific personality yeah. defect maybe uh-huh. to, to enjoy or be good at that, that kind of work. <laughs> we'll call it a personality defect. I think, I think that's fair. Sometimes defects are useful. Sure. Sure. That's how we evolve. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I loved it honestly, you know, it was like the rush of it and, and you know, that was totally great. But, but you know, at the end of the day, the way I was internalizing, I was trying to climb too high, too fast in that realm, I, I really had something to prove because, you know, I was basically, I was basically like a sous chef in a kitchen full of like real sous chefs, you know what I mean? Where like I had a ton of ex- restaurant experience. Like I said, you know, I worked in food service for about 10 years, most of it in the kitchen. You know, there, that was, that place was legit, you know, we had chefs from all over the world that worked there. So I really felt, I think I, uh, a lot of it was sort of like an ego trip thing. It's just like, I'm every bit as good as these guys. You know, I don't, I don't need the, any, any culinary degree to like, I've put in the time and, and, you know, I can hold my own for sure. Like I didn't, I didn't have the knowledge of food that they did just on like a, a basic molecular level, mm-hmm. but I knew the industry really well, um, because, and you could juggle all the yeah, yeah. speed uh, right here, right now, mm-hmm. and deal with 14 different math problems in your head at the same time. So, you know, I felt like I kind of got the rug pulled out from under me at that time um, because I had basically how it how it all came to about was that I had a, like a massive, severe panic attack, mm-hmm. which I'd never had before. Didn't really know what that was or anything like that, but... Um, so, like, most people do, probably, when they have their first huge panic attack, I went to the hospital because I thought I was going to have a heart attack or something. Very common, I think. Yeah, it is. So, from then on out, I had this weird 
sort of Pavlovian response to to that place. Like every time I thought about going back to work, it just like terrified me because I now now I associated it with with this other thing that was like really traumatic and and you know scary. So you know, sp- speaking with with my doctors and things like that, I kind of realized that I was n- not going to go back to that because I didn't feel like it was in my best interest per se. So at this time I had been sort of like goofing around in the uh, silkscreen shop for a while. And uh, when it became clear that I was not going to return to my career, I basically just talked to Drew and Bingham and said, if you can, if you can pay me anything, I will do anything that you ask and like I don't know how to do anything really, but I learn quickly, and and I'm you know I'm diligent and everything. And and luckily Drew you know kind of knew my character from having worked with worked with us at at the other restaurant for a long time, and that was like a bad job. So I guess he figured if I did if I still did good at a bad job, that I would do good at a good job. <laughs> you can handle it in the dark trenches. Yeah. Maybe. This um, reminds me a lot of uh, the classic jiu-jitsu story, actually, or the MMA fighter, where at the beginning, and of course jiu-jitsu is a grappling martial art, but I bring that up because at the beginning, a new guy who often becomes a world champion later begins by cleaning the mats for the jiu-jitsu class. Like, in exchange to be able to keep training there, he cleans the mats, or she, and sleeps there, like sleeps on the mats. And and while you did not sleep there, I still remember very early on uh, seeing, I guess on Facebook or something, you saying we're burning the candle on both ends because you guys were staying up super late to make a deadline. And w- one of the things that should be talked about here is your vast work ethic, your extreme Spartan-like, which is likely what drove you into a level of intensity in other areas that was not healthy. This is also a superpower, I think. It could be. It it could also be a super debilitating handicap. You know, depending on on uh, what side of the coin you're on. Um, right. But for better or worse, uh, I have I have had a pretty good work ethic for for most of my life and i think it just comes from you know my mom and dad being ballers and and just not wanting to like look bad you know in front of like they make a lot of it's easy to look bad in front of them because they're hustlers like nobody's business so i think it was just instilled at a at an early age that that's just how you do like and i still stand by that today like i think talent might as well not exist because <laughs> talent will do nothing if you don't have the drive behind it. You know what I mean? Like if you set talent on a table and just leave it there, it's never going to become anything. You know what I mean? You got to like build it into something. So yeah, sweat and blood fill up a measuring bowl quicker than quote, and especially talent. that job because, because as of all the things that I've said so far, you know, I really wanted to be a part of it 
and 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 they're no stranger to that because you know if they had a dollar for every time someone like me came in there mm, really and because it's just a cool job sure. you know it's like a job that you can feel cool by telling people you do it so i basically cleaned those mats for for a while uh, and then they managed to scrape up enough dollars to to hire me and i think I think when I started, I was making $200 a week. Yeah. Yeah. This is what this reminds me of. Again, very similar to the jujitsu analogy is the classic Joseph Campbell hero's journey where it, and it very superhero esque too, but you, you have this sort of debilitating thing that happens that knocks you off of whatever path you were on, you know, like it just annihilates the inertia that you were in. And then it's almost like this call to do something that is more whatever in line with something that you would be excited about, but you either answer the call or you refuse the call. If you refuse the call, it's bad. I mean, at least Joseph Campbell doesn't create like a, so you take the call you and you grasp it and you take $200 a week, which is not egotistical. You know, you talked about dealing with ego in the previous situation. Whereas with this, you were like, give me the bare minimum and I will be happy. Yeah, and 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 as and the funnier thing about that is about fifty dollars of which I was spending on gas per week. To Just to get, get there. there. That's right. Um so but that was like still I was happy to do it, you know, like I, I managed. Uh, it helps that I live you know, I lived with you guys at the time and, and things are always a little easier when you live with people because you know you can you split the bills and everything so that made it technically possible for me to do that and then um i was there for like four and a half years so that was really my first taste of doing something like the feeling that you get when you when you do something and you just make a thing that like and you're just like proud of it even if it's not good you know what i mean just because you did it. You're an alchemist. This you thing was something. not real. You brought it forth from nothing or disparate parts or whatever. And I guess it's also worth noting um, at this time I was I was legally not visually capable. <laughs> because you, and you referenced this earlier, but you, you had an eye issue. I had... The eye issue. The eye issue. Yes, I, I, I've been, I've been losing my eyesight for most of my life. I, I had a, it's not a disease. I don't, I don't think, but like a, we'll say a, a deformity called keratoconus, which was a scarring of the tissue on my corneas, and it was a degenerative process. So by this time, I was declared legally blind and technically shouldn't have been driving uh was not by the recommendation of professionals that i'd be driving and this is all hypothetical right like we're not talking that you actually yeah, drove yeah, no. you're just saying if you were bouncing your grandchildren on your knee telling of your tales you would use this narrative like you actually did have i metaphorically drove yeah right yeah you you got there you did not drive but yeah so that that also speaks to to those guys because 
they hired a, a like an actual blind person to work in a visual medium a visual art medium which is questionable but but just great friends you know what i mean great guys but i have worn some of the t-shirts that you made yes and you got quite good at this yes uh well yeah i got good at it after a while i mean i think you'll you'll eventually get good at anything if you just do it enough times you know you you throw enough stuff at the wall eventually it'll stick but yeah i mean like eventually i got good at it and 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 we turned that place into into like like probably the premier screen printing place in nashville i don't know if it's egotistical to say that because no it's not because we were voted bingo the number one screen printing in nashville in the nashville scene so the proof is uh we've seen the data that's true we've, we've collected the data and we have the data and i've seen the data and it's data. D- data means it's legit. But yeah, I remember you guys were in a garage at the beginning in winter with not a whole lot of heat. And you, you built it up and you you dive into this arena for four and a half years. And then what happens? The other secret to getting really good at something is I got myself into a bad relationship. And I didn't want to be home anymore (laughs) so i needed something to do outside of my apartment if if truth is if the truth's gonna be out these are the lessons kids take heed Uh, just do it exactly as i did it and then you'll do it too (laughs) absolutely accurate (laughs) uh so yeah that was like really a catalyst um but we moved our shop into this uh, cooperative workspace um, called Fort Houston. Uh, shout out Fort Houston, Instagram.com. <laughs> um, and that's a, it's sort of a, a creative co-op space. And so that place, if, if Grand Palace blew my mind, this place exploded my butt off. <laughs> I don't know, I'm not, I'm going to try to keep it PG on here. Yeah, I don't know who your target audiences are, but I mean, everyone, everyone is my target. No, but it blew my it blew my my underwear off my my butt bottom uh, because in this place you have dozens of guys and girls that are our age who are doing these like incredible crafts like like again stuff I didn't know existed and I certainly didn't know people our age were doing it like you know, hand-making furniture and, and metalwork and and all this woodwork and cabinetry and, like, ceramics and jewelry and all that stuff. As cool as I felt screen printing, and I always felt cool screen printing, like, no matter what, because it is a cool job. I was like, man, there's, like, so much here. Like, you know, it just, like, it opens your mind to it, and it's, like kind of overwhelming it's like i can Mm -hmm. man i can do anything i can like these guys are doing like all this stuff like i want to do something cool these guys are so cool it's like the nightmare before christmas where he gets into the forest and he finds all the different doors yeah and it's the what's this what's that like Mm -hmm. being exposed to all these options makes you more aware of all these worlds you could leap into 
so I just kind of like started picking up stuff around there. You know, that's kind of what that place is is designed for, and uh, it's sort of to expose people to different crafts and you know things like working with their hands. And you know, there's a lot of career guys that work out of there, and then there's also like a lot of weekend warrior types who will who will do stuff and just want some space to do stuff. But so I basically just started looking at all that stuff. And uh, I wanted to do it, and I decided to do it. And then I, but I also wanted to do something that no one else was doing. And then still stayed. That's a that's the sound of my cat eating. By the way, shout out to Bagel Bobcat Cat. She's not on Instagram. She's not allowed court order. Um, <laughs> it sounds like a tough pass. She's yeah. under house arrest. Um, okay. So I went being a huge fantasy nerd. As I am, and you am. Yeah, I got nothing but respect for that. Nothing uh, but love there. And, and and just looking back at all the things that like I wanted to do in, as a child, I uh, I decided that blacksmithing is something that I really wanted to try, and specifically like bladesmithing and and making knives. Because you know, there's some synergy there. Because you know, as as someone who worked in food service as long as I did, and and being of the mountain folk as I am. I've always had knives and played with knives and hatchets and things like that in the woods and stuff like that. So, and also it's just kind of, it's kind of bad A, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, how many people do you know where you can be like, yeah, I've got this friend and, and he made a sword. <laughs> yeah. uh, I watched him make a sword like in medieval times. So, so yeah, um, that sort of colliding with the with the idea of being in sort of a bad relationship and and looking for a way to ignore that for as long as possible before you have to act on it and then uh and also just like feeling as far as just like feeling fulfilled you know like my still my only real hobby at the time was like playing video games and i still love to do that but the the fact is you know it just doesn't have a lot of tangible return return yeah for your investment like it is extremely fun and it's a great way to distract yourself and and things like that but i think i was really looking for looking for something that that offered like an actual tangible sort of outcome that i could look at and 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 like like make a thing and hold it in my hand and and show it to people and then like be able to chart my progress i made a couple of really really crude knives to start with and um well how did how did that begin like was there a moment where you thought sword maker knife maker blades blacksmith or was it more was was that just like kind of a moment where that came to you or did you slowly come to that well it actually kind of i kind of like went back and and looked at my own my own interests because I have always been interested in that you know like any kid that goes to Dollywood or whatever and sees the the blacksmiths making their little trinkets or whatever to sell that's just cool man like it's so cool and and like it's macho and it's like it's like like viking and 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 medieval and and it's so like savage and cool alive and it's like you know it's it's like one of the oldest crafts known to mankind honestly and and i really wanted to do it as a kid and i i think you you probably knew this but i actually 
I met a blacksmith at the county fair where I grew up one year, and and uh, he actually offered blacksmith. He had blacksmith camp during the summertime, and I really wanted to go to it. But I was in middle school, and I really wanted a girlfriend more. And I just thought that those things were mutually exclusive. In that, if I go to blacksmith camp, I can kiss any shot at getting a girlfriend goodbye. So I went to archaeology camp instead. <laughs> <laughs> the choices we make. And uh, everyone knows girls dig archaeologists. I was going to say, I, I feel like you were you really did. throwing the baby out with the bathwater because when you stick in blades and water and smoke's coming out and you got scars on your hands with dirt in them, that was one of the first things I noticed of Logan today is that he has scar scratches on his hand with dirt in them. So they're accented like like ornaments of true action and manly. Yeah. I've got like gnarl- yeah, I'm getting like gnarled up tree root hands. Yeah. Int, uh, int hands. So so I looked at that and I just like was like, oh man, that would be a really cool thing to do. I wonder what it would take to get into that. So uh, I used a, a resource that we didn't have when we were kids, which is the internet. And yes, uh, anyone under, what, like 25, the internet wasn't a thing when we were younger. No, it existed, but definitely YouTube, which is, isn't that where you kind of first leapt into That's the- right, yes. I, I like, I literally got online and I watched every video about blacksmithing, like, on YouTube and every video about knife making on YouTube and and I watched them over and over and over and I still watch them every night. I still watch them every single night because I just couldn't get enough of it, you know? It's like that's one that's one tool that we have that I don't think a lot of people appreciate, which is that we have if you have a smartphone, you have all of the world's information in your pocket at all times, like all of it. Massive library. Because you have access to the internet on the go. And that means you have all the world's knowledge. And so, so luckily, and what that meant for me was that I didn't necessarily have to find like a, a a domo, you know, a master to train under. I could kind of like glean as much as I possibly could from these videos and just from reading everything that I could get my hands on and watching everything on repeat. And so I, I, got, I got my most basic of basic knowledge from that. Enough to where I was like, okay, I'm going to try this, you know. So I, that's where we, we come back to, like, making a couple of crude ones. Because I didn't really want to make, like, invest a bunch of money into it. And then not follow through, which I had a habit of doing. The, the whole thing you're talking about where you can look at that many hours of content that is in a lot of ways uh, not flashy or, I mean, there's obviously there's flashy parts to blacksmithing, but you're doing, again, it's a technical thing. And I think my, my girlfriend at the time would get, would get so frustrated because she'd be trying to sleep in the bed next to me and there's like a literal sound of a hammer hitting an anvil all not like for hours and hours and which to me is like the lullaby of the muses you know yeah 
but I'm sure to her it was probably like a nightmare factory. There are zero sound machine uh, tracks, I think, that are blacksmith studio compatible. compatible. But I think that's an important thing because like the whole notion of finding your passion or finding your bliss or whatever. And I I think sometimes in life we want a thing to be our passion, but there's, man, there's very few things in life that you can look at hour after hour of YouTube video and then rewatch it and still get pleasure out of it. That, yeah, I mean that, what that is, is it really is passion. And like, if you were like me at the time and you've n- never really identified as being passionate about something, it's like a weird, it's, I mean, it's literally, it's literally falling in love, you know, mm. because it's like, I want to spend every second of my time with this activity. I want to spend like every ounce of energy. I want to spend every cent that I make. I want to do everything all in service of this interest. And so after I made the first couple, and and even though they look like, you know, something that that a caveman would like, would produce rubbing a piece of iron against a rock or something, the feeling that it gave me, and and, and not just that, it was like the support, you know, like the support network that I had at the time was very like instrumental in me getting into it, which I'm again I'm really lucky to have. Um, still to this day, you know, like, you and Colton and, and, uh, and my friends that I worked around there at the print shop and, and at Fort Houston all were, like, super supportive, and I'm sure that there were many conversations had about, you know, that were the, basically the, uh, the verbal equivalent of, like, putting a macaroni picture on the refrigerator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just like, oh, you know what? This is the most special piece of art wow. I've ever seen. I'm going to put it right up here. You worked really hard. And to my friends who actually, like, dropped coin on things that I made during that period, I thank you so much. Forever. Because, yeah, I mean, I had no business selling stuff that I made at the beginning. But if I hadn't, then, you know... I wouldn't have been able to buy the like the equipment that I needed to to continue to to move onward and upward. So a shout out to those people. You know who you are, and you probably aren't listening to this anyway. But no, every everyone's listening. The, oh, okay. no, actually, we've not even released a single episode yet. We're taking the airwaves. So you took whatever you had, and you and if you've never, I don't even know. There's things that I love. For example, MMA, like, mm-hmm. I will never, I mean, I, I love MMA. I can't, and early on, it wasn't, like, a gradual thing, but that, you, I can't do MMA. I tried to do MMA, and my body broke many a time, and there. Yes, mine also, and you broke some of it. Well, everybody breaks eventually with, with MMA, I think. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> I, that's kind of, like, the, that's kind of the end goal. That's totally the goal. Break other people uh, before you. They break you. Yeah, yeah. I think it has higher spiritual implications than that, but on a macro level. Yeah. But you took whatever you earned and you threw it right back into the art, the work itself. You worked to build little gold coins, and then you took those gold coins and you invested them back into the work itself. 
every single cent, man. Every cent that I made from my regular job. And by this time, I was making, like, decent money at Grand Palace. You know, like, we had officially become, like, a thing by that point. And so I was making, like, decent money, uh, which is good because I also got rid of that girlfriend soon thereafter. Uh, I say got rid of, but, you know. Things finally didn't work out didn't to the work point out. where it couldn't be salvaged. Um, so I also inherited the other half of all my utilities that I had to take care of at the time. So not a lot of pennies to to put into that kind of stuff. But, you know, like birthday presents, Christmas presents, all that kind of stuff. Like, that's all I wanted was just like, I just, I just want money so that I can buy this tool or this tool or this other tool or... I would literally have to save money to get a hundred bucks to, to order like steel and stuff offline uh, and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean like I, I forwent all a hundred percent of a social life pretty much because honestly it was just like money spent on dating is money that I'd rather spend on that, you know? I'd, I'd rather be doing that as almost anything. And and to a large, in a big way, it's that's still somewhat true. Although it's, I've, I've kind of like, I've, I've kind of like segmented things a little bit better now to where I'm not just like 100% doing that all the time, you know? This is love, right? Like what you describe, you even called it as such it's it's falling in love and that gives you real power because i've got to imagine your life looked obviously on the in outside it looked a lot different too because you were asking for christmas presents to help this you were investing your money in it but inside what does it feel like to to because some people that are listening may not have that they may never have even tasted something that they love that much that you're talking about so what did that look like internally versus before you had uh, met this aspect it really feels like um and you know like i will preface this with saying that like i like many other people have struggled with sort of mental illness we'll say for lack of a better word and and so you know it's affected my life for my entire life but i didn't really have a name to put on it until you know, until, uh, the, you know, the, the series of events that caused me to change careers in the first place. But, uh, I didn't have a lot of, basically I, I mentioned that only to say that I didn't have a lot of self-worth and I didn't think very highly of myself per se. And I never really had a thing. You know what I mean? Some people, when they were growing up, they, they had a thing, like they played football or, right. They played soccer, and they were a soccer player. Like, they identified as a soccer player. And that's exactly what it is. It's just, like, I found... I kind of found the identity that worked for me. You know what I mean? So, making the things... It felt like I was doing something that mattered on, on like, a much bigger level. Like, well, on a much bigger and also much smaller. Because it was just, like so personally fulfilling that that even I I kind of like 
jokingly tell people still to this day, like, I don't really make knives for other people. I make them all for me and other people just buy them. And that's just kind of how I, that's kind of how I run my, my business, you know, is it's like, I just, I think that life is too short to spend even one second doing something that you don't like. You know, if I just am not into it, a job or whatever, I'll just pass on it, you know? But the feeling that it gives you is, uh, it kind of fills a hole that you didn't know was there, I guess, is a, mm. a cheesy rom-com sort of metaphor for it. But um, just the just the very act of creation, like you took a chunk of metal and you made it into a thing that's like not only functional but beautiful and you know to you every single line has has a meaning like nothing is there by accident and you know obviously you can't expect other people to to read into your stuff like that way especially when you're making a thing like a utility you know what i mean like like very few people will ever study like a knife as as they would a painting or consider it you know what i mean or whatever their version of that is yeah exactly but that's what it is for me. It's like I didn't know what art was until I until I knew. <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. Thanks so much for listening. My favorite part of part one with Logan is really there at the end where we're we're talking about that kind of love that drive someone to to be obsessed in the good way obsessed in the way that you can't wait to dive back into that activity or take every additional piece of money and throw it towards developing a skill that you have no idea is ever going to pay off in any other way than than for the love of the game for the love of what you're doing and it's often that kind of love you know, for something like that, that, that puts someone in a flow state. Those times when we forget how long we've been doing it, where we look up and it's, it's been hours. I remember those kind of moments occurring more when I was a kid. And that's what this topic feels like. I will be back next week with part two with Logan Cook. Until then... I hope you're having a great day wherever you are, a great week, and I'll see you next week. Have a good one.